Hi there, you're listening to The Steve Schramm Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Welcome to the show. You know, part of the problem when sharing your faith with skeptics of the Bible, people who aren't sure whether or not these 2,000-plus-year-old stories are actually true, is that they have very little training in true biblical theology. Now, this is not universally true, all right? You definitely have some who teach biblical theology, even at the university level. You have a lot of them that I have talked to that are actually former Christians. And and yet, despite the fact that, that many of them have training, many of them used to claim Christ, um, one particular individual who I have spoken to at various times used to be a pastor and has written a few books. And yet, what I find when I observe the content that such individuals tend to put out, when I observe the tweets that they tend to write, things of that nature, I find that often they have a very bad theology. And again, this is just something that's in my experience. Um, You know, certainly I could be wrong. I'd love to be shown wrong on that. But um, they tend to have a very uncharitable take toward theology. And and they don't uh, tend, again, I'm talking in generalities here, they don't tend to take the biblical text seriously. So some of them have plenty of training, but little thoughtfulness. So rather than approaching the Bible with a charitable take and a charitable read, what they'll do is kind of assume the truth of whatever theological narrative that fits their narrative and go from there. Now, I've seen this in various different groups of people. Again, those who used to profess to be Christians, but they have now deconstructed. Also, those who spend lots of time learning about Christianity from atheist YouTubers. Now, again, nothing against atheist YouTubers here, but it's kind of like um, maybe they're not the best source to learn about Christian truth and history and tradition from. I mean, you know, from my perspective, it's like go find the best sources. I mean, that's with atheism, you know, if I want to know what an atheist believes, I'd really do try to find the best sources that I possibly can on the subject. Now, I may disagree with the implications of what they believe, but that's a distinction that has to be made. Implications versus what you believe. Those are two different things, and you have to be very careful when talking about those, okay? So, if I want to learn Christianity, then let's go to what the Christians are teaching and say, okay... Well, let's at least start there and see, is that consistent? Is that inconsistent with other things they believe? You know, is there actually a problem here based on what they actually believe? Or those who are looking for an opportunity to cast a negative light on the God of the Bible. Yeah, there are people who don't like God, and they're actually looking for reasons from within the biblical text to dismiss God as an authority, to dismiss God as a as the being that he is, who de- deserves and is worthy of worship. And then you have those who have no intent at all to be disingenuous, and they just don't know any better. And again, a lot of times, these people are going to be those who learn from some of these 
some of these other ones and they don't know what they don't know and that's totally understandable and you know the reason or at least one reason that we do what we do here that I do what I do in creating this content is that I want to help people realize that the the biblical worldview the Christian worldview is not only a reasonable one but it's the true one <laughs> and it's the one that offers hope and it's the one that offers something real and real answers to their problems. So the point is that within these groups, um, there's there's a bad theology that just persists in them. And I think, I definitely think it's a big problem. So let me give you just three. Three of these numerous problems that bad uh, theology kind of presents and, you know, hopefully give you some advice on how to improve that, how to get around that and, 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 and you know, have a better theology and, and how to, how to show others to have a better theology. The first of these is that bad theology kills conversations. Now, this is something that both Christians and atheists are often guilty of. And what it is, it's a failure to use good philosophy. What do I mean by that? Well, philosophy is the art of making distinctions. So it's the ability to recognize one idea as distinct from another idea, even if that other idea is very closely related. So that's the essence of theology, uh, excuse me, of philosophy. Now, some are going to argue that philosophy is a subset of theology, and some are going to argue the opposite. Now, I'm not intending to speak to that debate at the moment. What I want to get to is this, the failure to use good philosophy is the failure to use good theology. Let me say that one more time. The failure to use good philosophy is the failure to use good theology. So if you're not willing to make proper distinctions about God, his creation, and how he interacts with it, then you're going to end up with bad theology. So how does that lead to killing conversations? Well, if you're going to remain in an extended discussion about important ideas between two or more people, you're going to enter into these things, then you're going to need to establish a method of communication. So you're going to have to make some agreements. You're going to have to come to some points of, uh, of agreement in order to make any headway, which is often going to entail making some concessions along the way as well. And no conversation who between people who fundamentally disagree can, you know, really be productive if you don't do these things. I mean, if you're, if you're both kind of caught at the stalemate, you know, one of you says, oh, well, the supernatural exists. The other of you says, well, the supernatural exists doesn't exist. And again, I'm just using a very basic example here. But insofar as you have that stalemate and nobody's willing to make any concessions and nobody is willing to, um, you know, move a little bit, well, then you're just going to have a stalemate. You're going to have a conversation that's very, very unproductive. So along the way, somebody is going to have to give a little bit. Somebody is going to have to, um, you know, c come to the realization that the argument has to go somewhere or else there's no point in having the conversation. Now, let me give you a very practical example here. So let's say the atheist A 
is in conversation with Christian C. And this atheist takes issue with the fact that Yahweh seems to be a god of warfare. Now, one read through the book of Joshua would make any 21st century person living in the West a bit squeamish, sure enough. We have this idea that the same God, who is also this tender-hearted Jesus, would never have commanded the slaughtering of entire people groups. Now, leaving aside the fact that this tender-hearted idea is a myth, this tender-hearted Jesus idea is a myth, there's actually room for lots of theological nuance and discussion around affirming the so-called conquest narrative as historical, God-ordained truth. So, I want you to know, before we you know, go any further here, I'm not rampaging against, against A here, against Mr. Atheist, okay? Because C may be ignorant of this information as well. And this is just the point. We want to use good theology when approaching a question like this. Otherwise, it's just entirely... Um, uh, you know, unproductive to, to even start to go down this road. So what are a few of the details that might nuance a conversation like this? Well, the first one is this. Often, warfare language in the ancient Near East was rife with hyperbole. Now, this is important here because it, it, it highlights the fact that we are not reading a document that was written in the last hundred years. And you might say, okay, well, that's pretty obvious, Steve. How does that really help me? Well, don't miss my point. My point is that we often expect documents that were written in antiquity to conform to the way that we would understand them now due to our worldview. But we must understand that things were much different back then. They didn't have the information that we have. Now, they weren't stupid. They weren't ignorant. They still had common sense. They had... Um, I mean, heavens, you know, a revelation from God, okay? I mean, these people have demonstrated um, through the archaeological finds that we have uncovered, have demonstrated that they were extremely smart and extremely intuitive on different things. So we're not calling them dumb, but we are saying that we approach the evaluation of these documents with a little bit different standard than we approach documents that were written, you know, in the last couple hundred years even, okay? There's just a difference in the way that things were reported, the amount of information that was reported, the kind of information that was reported, and the way in which it was reported. So one of the important things about that is that in the ancient Near East, the idea of hyperbole was a big deal. And again, I'm right here is not the place to defend all of these points. If you want to see more about this particular point, you can check out the work of uh, Paul Copan. He has written on this in his book, God uh, Is God a Moral Monster? Um, but the simple point is that this kind of warfare language that happened, um, that was used in the ancient Near East, was rife with hyperbole. So, in other words, when it says things like, the city was utterly destroyed. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean every man, woman, child, beast, and bacteria was destroyed. That's not the required meaning of those things, even though if used today, we may use some of that language in a more literal or true-to-fact sense. Okay, the conquests, another thing about them, is that they were not against any people group willy-nilly, but rather they were holy war 
against the giant clans, the Rephaim, the Anakim, and such the like. And again, if you look at the context of what was going on there, you see that it was that it had to do with God's disinheriting of these nations back at Babel. And you can see my post on the Divine Council worldview for more on that. Another thing is that worship of false gods in Canaanite territories was so disgusting and vile that if it were occurring today, many would be mad if God was not intervening. Okay, so these people groups, when they would sacrifice to their false god, Moloch, they would literally take their children to this idol to be burned in the arms of Moloch and killed. And that would be their ritual sacrifice. And as a matter of fact, when, when these rituals were going on, the people groups, the people in um, who, who were in, in part responsible for this, that, you know, it was a big festival thing and there was music and there was celebration, they would beat the drums louder and louder and louder so that you could not hear the screams of the children. I mean, this is just absolutely crazy and absolutely disgusting. And if this kind of thing were going on today, surely these same atheists would be mad if God was not doing anything about it. Where is God? But yet when God rains judgment on these people groups for these activities, well, then for some reason that is what makes God a quote-unquote moral monster. So again, this is just bad theology. This is a failure to reckon with the facts as they are. And the last point, again, we're just talking about these conquest narratives as an example of this, um, is that God waited over 400 years before bringing this judgment about. See Genesis 15, 13 through 16. So the iniquity of the Amorites was not complete. And um, so, again, um, and that's why they could not be judged until after that 400-year period. So there's a lot of theological nuance that's going on here that whether you're an atheist or Christian or whatever, if you are evaluating the evidence in light of this question or this objection, if you want to put it in those terms, you have to be willing to make these theological distinctions um, otherwise, you are not fairly dealing with the facts. So, when properly understood in its theological context, there's much more going on here with these conquest narratives than a genocidal cosmic dictator randomly commanding his people to obliterate another people over some land. That's not at all what is going on. Now, let me make this point. Either A or C could choose to disagree with what has been presented above. Absolutely. But but then they would need to provide arguments and evidence for taking the text another way. They could not just blindly assert that some sort of ethnic genocide is in view and then dismiss God as a result. And so this is where the conversation often stops, okay? A asserts that this is ethnic genocide. C either doesn't have a good answer or ends up defending God's actions, but in a way that basically concedes the point of genocide. And as long as bad theology is proliferated, there's little room for distinction and discussion around ideas like this. Again, neither A or C's response was necessary. There is 
nuance to the conversation that has to enter in order to approach the conversation fairly. So again, this will kill conversations. Now, another thing is that bad theology is misleading. So it can be terribly misleading with respect to all sorts of different ideas like the nature of God, anthropology, angelology, and demonology, etc. Now, I've seen um, this captured in a popular internet meme. And there's different versions of this, uh, but I think this makes a good example. I'm going to express it in the terms um, that the folks at Got Questions Ministries did. This is how they put it, and I think this is a, a helpful way to put it. God sacrificed himself to save humanity from himself because of a rule he made himself. Okay, let me say that again. Again, this is a popular internet meme that is used to kind of um, basically say that the Christian story, the redemption story, is ridiculous. That's what the intent of this atheist meme is. It says, God sacrificed himself to himself to save humanity from himself because of a rule he made himself. Now, this statement, although it's oddly persuading for some, is absolutely rife with bad theology, terrible theology. And um, so, Got Questions, they have put together a sound, I think, point-by-point rebuttal. So there's no need for me to reinvent the wheel here as to why the um, meme itself fails. You can go check that rebuttal out. I will link you to it there in the show notes. But I do want to make an observation about this. The problem is that this kind of a quick jab often has lots of rhetorical force. So what do I mean by that? Well, it has a kind of surface level persuasiveness to it that quickly calls to mind the Christian story. So if you are a Christian who is not very well studied not very well read, you don't even spend that much time reading the Bible, you don't spend that much time reflecting on theology, Uh, say you're maybe a little lukewarm or a little apathetic, they could easily be shaken by this. And again, the problem with a lukewarm or apathetic Christian um, is not that as such. They need more instruction. They need to dive deeper. They need to be um, really getting more of the milk and then transitioning to the meat. So I'm not using those terms in a necessarily derogatory sense, okay? There is a sense in which they're derogatory, but I'm not using them in that sense. I'm just saying, you know, you have here a Christian who needs desperately to be learning more. And when they hear something like this, um, it often has rhetorical force that's enough to shake them and deter them from learning more and instead drive them toward something like atheism. So, again, it is mostly atheists who prol- proliferate this meme and, and others like this meme. So, if that's the case, then I have every reason to doubt that that um, many of those who do understand the Christian story. I think that many of them ultimately do believe this accurately represents it. And so this shows that they have bad theology and that not only are they misled, but that they are misled, uh, excuse me, misleading others. And uh, the Bible, I don't have the reference pulled up. I suppose I could look that up real quick, but uh, it's somewhere in James, talks about uh, this idea of be not many masters. In other words, don't 
don't be a teacher if you don't have to. If you're not willing to think clearly through this stuff and lead others in the right way and you end up teaching them incorrectly, then the Bible seems to suggest there's going to be a harsher measure of judgment and a higher standard for that person. I mean, heavens, the Lord Jesus himself talks about, you know, God forbid that one leads astray one of these little children. It better it would be for him that a millstone were hung around his neck and he was dropped to the bottom of the sea. I mean, so I would not want to be in your position um, teaching others that this is really what the Christian story is when this is just uh, totally, totally false. This is not an accurate representation of the Christian story at all. And if you think it is, then you have bad theology. So since it's ultimately not what classical Christianity affirms, to set up this view and attack it is to attack a straw man. Um, it's the straw man fallacy, one of the textbook logical fallacies. And this critique of uh, so-called uh, Christianity does not go through. Then lastly, and this is kind of a more somber point and, um, you know, a sad one, really, to have to mention at all. But it's that bad theology leads to deconstruction. The deconstruction of a Christian's belief. Some refer to this as deconversion. Now, the term deconstruction refers to the tearing down of one's Christian affirmation and identification. And I, I, I purposely have not used the word deconversion because there's certainly a theological debate that... Um, as to whether or not uh, one can uh, deconvert, that is to, to actually be a genuine Christian and then decide not to be one day. There's debate around that, and um, the, the point here is not to even discuss that. I'm not going to uh, take a position, at least not right now, on that uh, publicly. So we're not going to talk about whether or not a, a Christian can legitimately lose his faith. That's not the point. Um of this, but it does lead to deconstruction. In other words, it does lead to people who say that they were once Christians, they once loved the Lord, and now they do not believe that Christianity is true. That's the point. That's We have people who say, yep, I once affirmed this. I was involved. I was a pastor. I was a writer. I was a youth leader. I was a, I was a scholar. I was a Bible school teacher. I, you know, whatever. And now I no longer believe that it's true. Now, there's a very recent example of this. It comes through the testimony of the comedic duo, uh, Rhett and Link. They are internet sensations. They are YouTube uh, stars, as it were. They were actually raised in an evangelical Christian environment not too far from where I live now in North Carolina. And just recently, they released a few tell-all podcast episodes and YouTube videos that broke down their individual paths to destruction or to um, <laughs> deconstruction as it were I mean sadly uh, the Bible does call it the path to destruction but um, but it is the path for them to deconstruction now I will say this they requested not to be psychoanalyzed they did but that's a I mean come on that's a bit lofty a request when you tell millions of people your story. And, and many of those who hear this story, um, fans even, spend no shortage of time professionally studying and teaching aspects of Christian theology and apologetics. You just can't get away with that. You're going to have people who look at your statements and they 
uh, try their best to take them genuinely, but also to understand them within the context of a Christian response. This is going to happen, and it has happened in um, a couple different instances. So uh, I've linked a few of these uh, for you in the uh, blog post that accompanies this podcast episode. One of those um, was written by Rob Carter. It's uh, an open letter to Rhett McLaughlin. And then there is another one from Capturing Christianity that is uh, with uh, Mike Lacona and... um, uh, I think also was Trinity Radio involved in that, Braxton Hunter. I can't remember, but that was a really, really good uh, episode. And then there's another one here from, uh, I believe it's uh, Esther O'Reilly commenting, Five Lessons from Rhett and Link's Spiritual Deconstruction. I read and listened to and watched all three of these, and I think they're great resources to talk about this. If you have any questions about that, um, they analyze the situation well, but let me just kind of give you the spoiler alert. Okay, now you can you can check out all of these sources. I highly recommend you do. They are well nuanced. I think they are well argued. I think they are gracious and charitable. But let me give you the spoiler alert here. Bad theology is the issue. Bad theology is the issue. Again, I'll stress that both these gentlemen, Rhett and Link, were raised in what I believe to be pretty doctrinally sound churches. I may disagree with uh, the Calvinism that um, they seem to have been raised up in, but um, you know, I have lots of Calvinist friends, and they're squarely within the realm of classical Christian orthodoxy. I have no reason to disagree with you know 95% of what it is that they, that they believe. And um, so I have no reason to think that Rhett and Link were given bad information with respect to the essentials. And uh, they were even involved to some extent in Christian leadership. I mean, they these were not your kind of uh, Christmas and Easter uh, Christians or Christians who were only Christians on the weekend. By their own testimony, now they could be lying, but I doubt it. By their own testimony, they believed it. They lived it. They were committed to it. And they could even defend it. They even had some training, at least at a lay level, in apologetics. So what happened? Why? Why, why did this happen? Well, you'll have to read some of the links uh, that are in the show notes there that I mentioned about uh, Rhett and Link's deconstruction in order to really get your head around it, around what's going on. But um, again, I think a huge part of the problem just derives from bad theology. So I'm just going to speak very, very broadly about this. So Red had a problem understanding the relationship between science and the biblical worldview. That was the the gist, okay, of Rhett's issue. And it kind of led to questioning one thing after the other, eventually questioning if he could trust what scholars even said about Jesus. Despite the fact that the majority of scholarship is on the side of the facts, about Jesus, at least many of the pertinent facts that would lead us to be able to conclude things like the resurrection is true, things of that nature. Um, It led to him even questioning those because, again, he was so um, uh, taken back by the difference of opinion with respect to the relationship between science and the Bible. Link's issue was more about the problem of evil, led to questioning God's disposition toward hot-button social issues like homosexuality and gender neutrality. In other words, how, how could a loving God just dismiss these entire people groups, that kind of thing? And again, they, they seemed to have difficulty trusting experts who affirmed 
Christianity. These experts, to them, they had a, a bias that others did not, and they were motivated to conclude favorably toward the Christian view. Uh, this particular point might be more philosophical than theological, but they're very much related, as we've already talked about. To have bad theology is to have bad philosophy, and I think vice versa. And it's just interesting, isn't it, how one of these leads to another. I think this was captured pretty nicely by a comment on one of the links that I, I shared with you on the, I think it was the creation.com article. And what's funny is I actually think that this comment was written by a friend of mine and also someone who uh, frequently reads the blog and comments on my blog. So I'm going to read this. I think it's him. I'm not going to mention it just in case it's not him, but I do believe it was written um, written by him. So here's what he said. I will say it's Tim L. Uh, Tim L. He says this, quote, It's incredible to me that people can look at, on one hand, the idea that everything came from the God of the Bible, and on the other hand, the idea that everything came from literally nothing, and conclude that the latter is not only more believable, but does not require faith. If it doesn't require faith, then please describe a time when anyone, anywhere, has ever observed something coming from nothing. The reality is that our experience tells us that everything that begins to exist has an external and independent cause. To say that something began to exist out of nothing with no cause requires you to believe something happened that is completely contrary to everything you have ever seen. That sounds a lot like faith to me, and not just any kind of faith, but the kind that blindly jumps into the abyss. Close quote. I think that was so just um, insightful and truthful and and really one of these things that confirms the, the biblical statements of writers like like Paul where he's like you know even the foolishness of God just confounds the wisdom of the world confounds the wise where's the debater of this age you know um, it, because what's amazing is that these things happen where people start to believe things that to me, they just sound absurd. Uh, they just sound absurd. I don't know how you get to a place like this, but again, th these these two, Rhett and Link, they were as sincere as could be by their own testimony. They were in Christian leadership. They Rhett demonstrated that he knew apologetics when he was throwing out names of the books he's read and stuff. I mean, he's re read some things that even I have not read and, you know, just did not, uh, did not feel persuaded that he had enough reason to stay believing, but instead traded for the idea that, you know, something could just magically come out of nothing. Now, let me be a little, um, um, you know, clear here. Uh, Rhett and Link now both identify as hopeful agnostics. They, they both did clearly say that they don't necessarily believe that atheism is true. They are still willing to accept that some sort of theism it may be true, or maybe even possibly um, is, is more probable, if not descended into a sort of materialistic naturalism. But it certainly seems that they're on that trajectory. So if that's where they land, then bad theology is going to have led them to a point where they're willing to accept the philosophically bankrupt position that nothing produced something billions of years ago, and that in relatively recent history, fish evolved into moon landing space traveling philosophers. I mean, it, it sounds like a bad fairy tale, but it's the truth of 
what many people believe. And it's the truth of the road that they're headed down if they don't change course. So how should we respond? Right, this is this is it. This is the all important question. We see people like this. We see we see these instances of bad theology, of bad philosophy. We see people who claim one thing, but the implications of what they believe show another. So how do we deal with this? How do we navigate conversations around this? How do we remain charitable in these circumstances? How do we help people and give people the hope of the gospel in spite of these circumstances? I think the first one is something like this. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So when a person is not a partaker of God's saving grace, they're futile thinkers. They're unable to understand spiritual things. And you might even find that this leads to utter irrationality in some cases. You may have a leg up in any given conversation by uh, going into it with modest goals and the expectation that they may not be approaching these issues with a sound mind. Okay? Um, This is just a very important point because if you are taken back by this and surprised by this, then you may not be able to respond effectively. Again, this is just something that we're seeing more and more of. So while it should be unsettling to us and ever more uh, unsettling to us, it should not be surprising to us. We still realize that this is the way the world is. We see that um, that you know God has turned folks who think this way over often to a reprobate mind. This is Romans 1 kind of language. So this thing is happening, and it's happening all around us. What we need to know is how to respond and not be surprised when we see it. The second thing is to deal with worldview. To deal at the level of worldview. Now, it's not very popular to hold this position. And and to be honest with you, I even hate the term... Um, I want to avoid it, really. Uh, but I, I do tend to be a proponent of a presuppositional approach to apologetics. And uh, I think you can have a balanced presuppositional approach. And it, it doesn't have to be the way that it's uh, usually uh, portrayed to be. And I think it can be persuasive and also useful when dealing with folks in these types of situations. Because they have all the evidence they need. The, the problem is not that they need to read more books. The problem is not that they need to have more information, to listen to more podcasts, to watch more YouTube videos. They have all the evidence they need. Most importantly, they have all the evidence that God says they need, and yet they still reject. So the goal is to show that they have a worldview that's built upon a sinking foundation. This is the best we can do in these situations. We show them that their worldview has a sinking foundation, it can't account for the basic truths of our experience. And also, it offers no hope. We can offer them a worldview that does account for the basic truths of their experience, for even um, the idea that they have reliable senses and that they can think clearly and logically and, and rationally. These are things that make no sense on in a random chance universe. And make no mistake, that's the kind of universe we're living in if there is no God. 
We're also living in a very highly improbable universe, extremely improbable universe, um, beyond anything that I could even express to you in adequate words. If God or something like God, to use Alvin Plantinga language, does not exist. Every day, folks like Rhett and Link, those who, uh, who deny the truth of Christianity, I believe, are unknowingly sawing off the branch of the tree on which they perch when they make these sort of judgments. And then the final and probably most obvious one is just to learn good theology. Now, take it upon yourself to learn what good theology is. I love to use the analogy of counterfeit money. You know, they say that experts don't actually identify counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits, but by a meticulous study of the real thing. I think it's a great illustration. Learn good theology and test it out on open-minded skeptics. Try your best to educate them why their objections miss the mark with respect to what Christianity actually teaches and affirms. All right. Well, thank you for joining me this week here on the podcast. I want to say thank you very much. If you are a regular listener of the show, it's um, great to have you back here and uh, come to you another week. And if you are somebody who is just listening for the first time, thanks for joining us. Hey, look, if you want to, it would really help us out if you'd leave a rating or review on the show wherever you listen. Maybe you listen on iTunes or Spotify or CastBox or Spotify. you know, there's a host of other places that we are. Just leave a review on your favorite platform. I will be able to get it wherever it is. And if you leave that review, I will uh, read it out here on the show. And again, I, I am committed to reading all of them. So if you have a review that comes in and it is uh, positive or it is negative, then either way, I would love to read those uh, reviews. And uh, I'll just be very transparent about it. Respond if I feel necessary or if it, if it feels necessary to, to, to give a response to that, then I certainly uh, will do that. Since this is something new that I'm going to start doing here, reading reviews of the show, uh, I'm just going to pick one per week, and um, I don't have any new reviews that have come in yet in the past couple weeks, so I'm just going to start with the reviews we do have. We have seven reviews of the podcast, so I'm just going to read just uh, the very first one, and the next week I'll read uh, the next one, so forth, and I'm hoping by the time I get to it, uh, get finished with them, that I have some more. So if you would leave a review wherever, whatever platform you're on, pretty much I will be able to see it. Even if you're in a different country, I'll be able to see the the reviews that come in for the podcasts uh, in a different country. For example, the Apple podcasts uh, in a different country. I can see all of those in one place and at one time. So uh, go ahead and send those in if you would. It really helps other people determine whether or not they should be listening to the show. And if you're a fan of the show, I would hope that you're telling other people about it. I'd love to get more listeners on board so it can help more people grow in their walk with God. This review comes from Mikey Diesel. He says, open your mind. The origins of the universe are a mystery. Even to the high priests of consensus science, this podcast is an excellent representation of a different paradigm. It's based on the biblical teaching of creation and the flood of Noah mostly. What's fascinating is the evidence that's presented and how it's presented by consensus science versus biblical accounts. Well, thank you, Mikey, for that review. That was, again, a while ago. Uh, But thank you for uh, that review. And we do try to fairly represent everybody uh, accurately as we possibly can and as charitably as we possibly can while understanding that we can still have those disagreements based on facts and based on uh, good, sound thinking. So I appreciate that review. And again, if you have a review of your own you'd love to leave, then I would love to read that in a coming episode 
of the podcast. The other thing I'll mention is that if you want to support the show, you can go to steveschramcom slash give, steveschramcom slash give. We have an awesome new platform there that we're using for all of our giving going forward um, called Buy Me a Coffee. And I love it. It's, it's just really simple. Uh, there are two levels where you can just simply um, choose to buy me a coffee. You know, literally, I love coffee. I drink coffee all the time. I spend way too much money on coffee, something my wife will attest to. And uh, if you appreciate the content that we uh, create here, you can just go to the website and uh, simply, you know, drop three bucks or whatever for, for a cup of coffee. Uh, but if it's something that you'd like to take and, and do something... Um, uh, support us on a more regular basis. We do have a membership option there. I'll be saying more about that in future days. I'm not going to really, um, you know, plug that too big right now. Um, it, it is something that's there, and if it's something that you're interested in, where you can kind of learn from me at a, at a more uh, sort of a more intimate level, and also support the show regularly, then I would certainly appreciate you checking out the membership option. But uh, if you like what we do and would love to support the show, then I would love to have your support. You could just buy me one coffee, three coffees, five coffees, uh, or no coffees. Just tell somebody about the show and tune in next week all right god bless thank you for your support thank you for your faithfulness we'll see you next time